Welcome to Design Ops Island Discs, the podcast from Zero Height that navigates the calm waters of Design Ops with your host, me, Luke Murphy. I'm a design advocate at Zero Height, and I'm talking to the best folks in Design Ops and Design Systems to navigate us through what it takes to float Design Ops within your design org. For episode one of season three, which is being recorded live for the first time. I'm joined by Jerry Reed, lead designer on Newskit, the News UK design system. Uh, and prior to News UK, Jerry was lead designer on the Checkout.com and Lloyd's Banking Group design systems. Uh, is an avid accessibility advocate, um, which was quite a bit of alliteration there. Um, Jerry is also, as you'll probably hear in a minute, a fellow Antipodean, but now calls the UK home. So welcome to the podcast, Jerry. Oh, thank you for having me, Luke. <laughs> so um, I suppose we should start at the beginning. Um, what was uh, your path into design systems? Because it's been quite a while that you've been working with design systems, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Um, I've been working on design systems for the past five years. Um, prior to that, I built out pattern libraries and style guides alongside engineers, often as a side project in product teams. But the first proper design systems role I had was, like you said, at Lloyd's Banking Group. Lloyd's is the UK's largest retail bank, the Horse Bank, uh, and it owns high street brands like Halifax and Bank of Scotland. And yeah, I was at Lloyd's for three and a half years. We built a multi-brand, multi-platform system called Constellation, which is still going strong. Mm. Did you start there as the, because you were the prince, was that the one where you were principal product designer on the, or lead designer? (laughs) Um, I was lead designer. Uh, I kind of worked my way up there. Yeah. Um, it was a fun journey. We were a very small team. Yeah. Um, we initially partnered with some engineers from a mortgages team who needed a lot of the core design system components for a product that they were working on. So this mortgages team very kindly lent us two React developers, um, and together we built out the first iteration of a design system. Ah. Uh, we all pitched in and kind of wrote documentation to start with. You know, the team was very small and scrappy. We had limited budget. You know, at one point we didn't even have desks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'd I think that that's table stakes for... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, and I, I suppose so. And then it grew out, did it? By the time that you you left there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I get quite nostalgic looking back on those early days of Constellation. Uh, you know, the only person writing about design systems at the time was Nathan Curtis. Yeah. You know, we religiously <laughs> followed his advice. I, I am convinced Nathan Curtis has a crystal ball and can see into the future. <laughs> you know, his articles from 2017 are just as relevant to get today. You know, they're just constantly recycled. Yeah. And so I suppose I'm I'm really interested, as I said, I'm really interested in diving into the roles. And so I know that obviously, so you're a lead designer today, you have been principal mm-hmm. designer on design systems, you've been lead designer there as well. And as you said, mm-hmm. you worked up um, at Lloyd's mm-hmm. there. Um, so what do you, what do you see is like the main difference between what a senior designer does and what a lead designer does? So something that I think is, you know, a little bit nuanced. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess as a lead, you tend to be more involved in planning. You know, you might meet with product and engineering on the roadmap and priorities. You know, what should the team focus on this quarter? Uh, In a design systems context, are there any hard deadlines on what the team's consuming the design system need? And, you know, you get to know the strengths in your design team. So you'll often have in the back of your mind which designer has the right skill set to pick up 
a project. Yeah. Um, and depending on the team structure, you might have a BA or a product owner or a delivery manager that helps with or does planning. Um, yeah. But, you know, in a smaller team, the buck might stop with you as lead or principal and you have to sharpen up your JIRA skills. <laughs> I, I'm actually, I'm curious because it's always fascinating to hear how other organizations work as well. Um, and obviously, you know, Lloyd's checkout.com and now News UK. I mean, they're not small organizations. Mm -hmm. Do you have delivery leads? Do you have a sort of, you know, uh, program managers or DPMs or anything to help you with those things on the design system team? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're supported by a product and program team who are, I'll link out to the titles. So the newspapers and broadcast team uh, who consume our components. Um, I mean, you know, within most design systems teams, you need that link out to product. Otherwise, you know, what are you building? When are you building it? Uh, they sort of <laughs> yeah. set the agenda most of the time. No, because I was just curious, because I know that it's one of those things where people assume big, you know, big organization means very well stocked teams. And I know it's not always <laughs> the case. Yeah, I mean, we're very fortunate to have a dedicated design systems team. Yeah. Uh, we have a team of five designers across UI, UX, and product design, and we report into a head of design systems. Okay. Um, I guess the great thing about our design system is it sits within technology. So we run sprints with a team of around seven or eight engineers. Uh, the design systems I've worked on previously have sat within design and we'd have like a couple of engineers, whereas at news, it's the other way around. We are designers within a tech team, which is a great place to be. Yeah. Cause it's one of the, uh, it's, I think it's one of Brad Frost's favorite things to say is, you know, design systems is a terrible name because it's not just about design, right? <laughs> Absolutely terrible name. Yeah. yeah. I know some of the bigger design systems, um, have, you know, they've gone down the road of, you know, calling their design systems different names. I think it's co-op that have the co-op experience library. Yeah. And I feel like that does a much better description of what we're producing. You know, a design system is quite a hard sell into senior stakeholders because, you know, design is only the first bit. Engineering is the, <laughs> yeah. is the bit that the customers say. Yeah, well, I mean, and, you know, a lot of design systems these days as well do start off with engineering as well. It's, it's I think it's, it's, well, it's one of those things where I don't think that it's really can be called a design system if you don't have both there. <laughs> exactly. But this yeah. isn't, this isn't my soapbox. So, um, <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm curious as well, especially for folks who are wanting to get into design systems or maybe even people who are already in design systems, um, who are looking to hire. Uh, do you mm -hmm. think there is much of a difference in the sort of skill set required when it comes to being a designer? Uh, being a product designer in design systems compared to in, what do we call it, vanilla products? I don't know. <laughs> That's, that sounds harsh. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess a designer on a systems team, you're generally a lot closer to the code. Um, yeah. At News, we designers write documentation. So, you know, first we do some research into best practice. We'll spec out the anatomy of a component. So, you know, w which atoms from the system will it be built from? We'll look at the states and the behaviors. You know, we might, uh, if there's any accessibility considerations, we'll document that. And we also have a go at sort of ARIA tags and props and then meet with engineering to run through. Um, okay. When that thinking has evolved sort of enough to build a component, um, we then go to the engineering tech analysis session where we'll all pitch in and decide the best way to build something. So, 
you don't need to be able to code, but I think on a design system, you need a good understanding of how code works. Um, Certainly as a design lead on a design system, you know, you have to represent design in product and engineering meetings, you know, uh, you have to contribute to technical conversation, sometimes make a call on technical stuff. Mm. I might not always know the answers, uh, but I just need to know where to look. It's often me furtively Googling MDN docs or WCAG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think because it's the one thing that I've noticed is especially, I mean, you've mentioned there a few times accessibility, and I know accessibility is a passion of yours, but mm. um, it is it feels like one of those things where accessibility is not a, well, accessibility should never be a nice to have for any designer, but um, especially when it comes to design systems, it's like a more in-depth knowledge of accessibility feels like it's almost required these days. It's a must yeah, have, not a nice I to have. I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, accessibility and inclusion is often a corporate priority, but when it <laughs> comes to product teams, it's really a business priority. Mm. Um, I think part of the problem is accessibility is often seen as some super technical, complex thing that's only done by dedicated specialists. But, you know, I see it as everyone's responsibility, Mm. you know, whether you're a designer, an engineer, a product person, a writer, a QA, you know, the small decisions that you make on a daily basis can put up a barrier to someone using your product. So it needs to be something we're all thinking about. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And it's interesting actually the um you mentioned about that uh the uh having the in-depth knowledge of code and the in-depth knowledge of accessibility um the other area that i think um plays into like designers on design systems teams and i'd be curious to get your your thoughts on this is i feel like the ability to communicate it, I say this as, you know, fumbling through my thoughts, uh, the ability to communicate to other teams as well, because quite often when it comes to that in-depth knowledge that you have, you're the one that needs to be educating the the rest of the business as well. Um, I mean, do you think that that's necessary? Do you think that that's necessary for the design system team for that to be their job? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, on the community side, especially as a design systems lead, you need to be actively engaged with your consumers uh, on all different levels. Um, At Lloyd's, we run a drop-in clinic every Thursday. Um, I I figure I ran or was part of about 100 of these and folks would come for all sorts of things, you know, accessibility advice for onboarding if they were new, you know, they'd call in with problems they had using the system and yeah, it was great. Over time, we got a really great insight on all the different teams and the problems they were solving. We could always often sort of link up teams working on similar things, a bit like a design systems dating agency. <laughs> do, do you think that that's because, um, do you think that's just because of the unique position that design systems have where they are that kind of connector between people? Or do you think it's maybe also something about the immaturity is not the right word how young design systems are um do do you think that there will come a time where sort of design systems aren't don't have to have that kind of linking role and that as i said like almost that advocacy role within orgs um i think working out in the open is really key to the success of a design systems team and that's something that kind of differs from a standard product design role or product design team 
Um, you know, I always work off the principle that we're always iterating, you know, it's all evolving in real time. Anyone can see what we're doing and get involved. Uh, you know, I always keep my calendar open. I just, I think as a design lead on a system, I'm working for the community and I'm accountable for, to them. You know, you can see how I'm spending my days. Um, on previous systems, we've actually opened up everything. You know, anyone can come and to any of our meetings and see what we're doing. Uh, I, I also think putting everything out there in the community allows people to self-serve to some degree. You know, mm. I'm not a fan of comms and dedicated channels. You know, I feel like everyone should have visibility on everything. Yeah, I 100% agree. I actually, I love it when products do this as well. It's, um, I, th I think that design systems, it's a no-brainer as well because... It's not like your users, you know, you have to hide um, uh, business sensitive information or competitive information. I don't think that there's many companies that have competing design systems. I don't know. Uh <laughs> no, it's difficult. The compliance issues within a bank on a design system is uh, tough, yeah. though. Um, you know, you're constantly battling compliance people who seem to have this idea that if you open source your design system, someone might steal it and make their own bank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all in the public domain anyway. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, that's why some teams struggle to get on board with tools like Figma, which are in the cloud, mm. because, you know, big bank and compliance, it's just another security risk. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm. It's um yeah, there must be some uh quite unique challenges when it comes to working in financial <laughs> services, um in design generally, but yeah, design systems. Um pros and cons. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, I suppose well actually related question-ish, uh, because you've worked in sort of financial services for the most of your career, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, so when you started that design career, what piece of advice do you wish that somebody told you for for you know looking back in hindsight um for that young fresh designer who hadn't been jaded yet <laughs> sounds like a long time ago Luke um <laughs> I think I, I have two pieces of advice these are quite personal to me as both mm. an introvert and a suffer sufferer of imposter syndrome um oh, I think <laughs> The first would be, you know, be kind to yourself and stop comparing yourself to others. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the social media is particularly cruel for this. You know, you're mm -hmm. seeing a tiny edit of the best bit of someone's work. You know, you haven't seen all the knockbacks and the effort and the long hours and the crit that the designer went through to get to this point. And when you're just starting out, it's really easy to compare yourself to folks who have been doing this a lot longer. You yeah. know, I always felt like my work wasn't good enough because a lot of the time I was comparing my work to the work of people who had many more years experience to myself. So be kind to yourself. That's my first one. <laughs> yeah, I think that that makes sense. That makes sense. It's um, yeah, I did notice on your website that you do call out, you know, you won't see my work on Dribble. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't think the dribblification, oh, that's another podcast. We're not going to get into Oh, that. don't, let's not uh, go there. <laughs> um, so bringing it back to design systems, what do oh, you... I haven't given you my second piece of advice, Luke, oh, sorry. to my please, younger self. <laughs> please. Get out there and meet people and see cool stuff. You know, be curious. You can find inspiration everywhere. Um, I think, you know, you might be a digital designer, uh, but, you know, go and see an exhibition on, I don't know, furniture design, traditional crafts, bar house architecture, 
something that will inspire you or take your direct, you know, your thinking in a new direction. I, yeah. I also think go out and meet people, you know, go to meetups, volunteer for stuff. Um, it can seem like a huge effort, especially when you're an introvert like me, but, you know, you never regret making the effort. And some of the best contacts I've made and the most influential people I've met who have helped me out in my career and my life, you know, I've met just by getting out there. So that's my two pieces of advice to my younger self. If only I'd heeded all that. <laughs> I mean, it, it's interesting, actually, because as a big fan of... um uh meetups conferences you know all, all of the in meet space stuff um and as uh might surprise people as an introvert as well <laughs> um it's it's one of those things where it took me a while to realize oh wait a second this shouldn't be scary because if i'm going to a meetup or a conference that's around an area that i'm interested in i already have something in common with every single person there <laughs> and it makes it so much easier to meet people um it does yeah yeah. it's hard though you know I think with COVID as well people just got used to staying in and I used Mm. to go out to a lot more stuff and then it just suddenly became much more normal to stay in after work so yeah I've got to make a dedicated effort to get back out there it's very true it's very true um and you know we can plug the uh, conferences that you're speaking at soon after this (laughs) (laughs) um you know just to give people a friendly nudge into them um definitely got no nothing writing on that um so back to design systems um what do you think are the um the biggest challenges that we face within design systems today um i think the biggest challenges remain unchanged um they've got to be engagement and contribution you know, engagement, getting teams on board, it's much quicker and easier to build your own thing. You know, how mm-hmm. do you convince teams that they need to use the design system rather than just building it themselves, which will undoubtedly be easier and faster? Um, also, contribution. Actually, at News, we've been sort of noodling on the idea of lowering the barrier to entry with a community library. And we've been looking at IBM's model. Um, you know, to be part of the core design system, a component needs to be tested and accessible and follow contribution criteria. And, you know, we obviously need all this to keep the quality high. But, you know, what if you haven't got time to engage with all of this? You just have a shipping deadline and you just need a component. Um, yeah. Rather than making your own bespoke version, if you can make your component from the atoms of the system and contribute it to a community library, then you get your component, but your work's out there in the open and any other team can potentially pick it up and iterate on it. And yeah, I guess if it proves useful to multiple teams, the design systems team can do the additional work required to bring it up to systems quality and publish it in the core library. So I think everyone wins there. So watch the space. Oh, I'm really interested to see how that goes because I do really love that bottom-up model. And it also Mm. solves that problem of um, the motivation for actually going through the effort of doing it. You know, if they can just go partway there, then they don't need to go the full way, which is, I think, you know, where a lot of people fall down in their contribution, right? (laughs) Yeah, um, contribution is hard. Um, I guess the only thing thinking about challenges uh, is metrics. That's the other big one that always comes up at any talk. You know, proving your system's return on investment. Um, mm-hmm. A design system is a very expensive project and doesn't directly generate revenue. So how do you justify your existence? 
Have, have you got the answers? No. Oh, damn. Um, I don't no. have the answer, sadly. <laughs> it, it was one of the things that came up in um, How We Document last year when we did the big survey. It was uh, it just absolutely floored me that I, th- I think it was, now I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but it was a very, very low percentage that even had KBIs associated with their design system um, that made me just very worried in general for for design systems because it's as you said it's like if you can't justify the ROI it's probably fine for a while but at some point it's going to become problematic yeah no no Um, we do have metrics in place at at news I mean the classic is measuring time and effort with and without a design system Uh, at Lloyd's we actually had a great opportunity during a rebrand of Halifax to generate some proper quant metrics we had a team that consumed the design system and a team who didn't, and they both needed to take on this rebrand. And the team with the design system did it in less than a sprint. The team that didn't consume the design system, I think it took them months. So, you know, out of an exercise like that, you can kind of extrapolate design and engineering and product hours and, you know, say, say that you've saved X or yeah. increased speed to market by Y and yeah, the business loves quant metrics, but they are very hard to come by. I was going to say, if you can just take those quant metrics, put it in a slide and hand it out to anybody trying Job to do done. design systems, that'd be great. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I, I've never actually heard of a live A-B test of uh, <laughs> uh, team process, which is quite good. Um, yeah. I, I mean, qualitative measures, I think, are also very important. Um at Newskit, we interview and survey our consumers for feedback, which, mm. you know, is not an exact science, but it gives you a good feel for what's working, what's not, and any blockers that the team's consuming you might encounter. Exactly. And it can help you then sort of guide your roadmap and, you know, figure out what you need to do, what the most important things are to do next, right? Not, yeah, as you said, not great on the quant and doing a number of <laughs> ROI, but it's, um, but even then, you know, converting that into NPS can quite often um help even though nps is rubbish um (laughs) um, you might have to edit that out luke (laughs) (laughs) um so uh on a similar note i suppose um thinking more aspirationally if there was something that you could just wave a magic wand and fix within design systems right now what would it be um, I guess we've sort of covered off accessibility, um, <laughs> not just in any design system, but not just in a design system, but, you know, in any organization, my magic wand would always be directed towards accessibility and making accessibility testing part of everyone's design and build process. Um, you know, it frustrates me when accessibility is seen as a nice to have or an add on item or something that needs to be done at the end of a design and build process. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that would be my one magic wand wave. Um, and I've got another one, but this might be quite controversial. Uh, design Ooh, system specific. Let's no do one's going to like me after this. Okay. Mandatory design system. Design system is mandatory for everyone. Everyone consumes and contributes back to the system. Uh, I feel yeah. like so much effort is lost in duplication. And a lot of the time it's because of politics. Um, mm-hmm. When I worked at Lloyd's, we had agencies and teams who rebuilt the whole design system from scratch because they wanted to use material UI or because their product owner wanted to take it in a different direction. Uh, I totally get it, you know. Product teams have deadlines and, you know, as I said, it's always quicker to make your own thing. 
then I don't know, read into all the rulesy stuff of the system. But if, <laughs> if everyone was given the time allowance to feed back into the system as part of the process, incrementally all those design and code hours on one code base will result in a huge saving mm. of time and cost. Your designers and engineers will speak the same language. There'll be less ambiguity, greater consistency. So, so that's I'm, my two magic wand waves, an inclusive and accessible future along with compulsory contribution. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I think you're con preaching to the, the choir here. So I don't think that there's going to be anything massively controversial, even with the audience. I don't know. Maybe if you're in the chat and you awfully disagree i'd love to see <laughs> the reasons why uh which actually brings us on to the uh audience almost brings us on to the audience questions portion of the afternoon but before we do i suppose we we do like to do this before we send you off to desert island uh we do need to know the very important things of you get to take one book one piece of music and one luxury item to take with you to to spend your days so let's start off with uh, what book would you take um, before we start, can I say being stranded on a desert island is like my dream life? <laughs> okay, I mean, great, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm naturally a very introverted creature. I love my own company. You know, within a week, I would have surveyed the island's natural resources and sorted myself out a shelter with a, like a seaside aesthetic. Yep. <laughs> so basically, you don't need to take anything. You're, you're sorted. <laughs> Oh, what am I starting with? A book? Yeah, let's let's do a book um, first. Okay, book is the toughest one for me. Um, I own hundreds of books, and I've actually had a few attempts at writing a novel. Uh, best thing I did during the first lockdown was to join an online writing group. Um, I met a fabulous group of people. We'd get together once a week, and I wrote an absolutely terrible, shitty first draft of a YA novel. <laughs> so <laughs> amazing! Uh, you need to send that over afterwards, please. <laughs> Not seeing the light of day, sorry. Um, in terms of what to take to the island, um, I imagine I would have a lot of downtime for reading, so I'd want something to chew over. So I would like the complete works of Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, Mansfield Park, Emma, etc. Fair play. I mean, I think that's a good choice. It's, um, I mean, you know, uh, I'm not going to get into my uh, Jane Austen hate there. Uh, I, I feel like I'll just get trolled online after that. Uh, <laughs> She was an uh, early feminist. Her characters she, yeah. defied gender norms and pushed for more agency in their lives. You know, it's very true. Th it's this very is true. the lady who I'd like to spend time on the island with. I understand that. I understand that. Um, so what uh, piece of music would you like to take? Particular um, album or what? It's an album. Um, it's got to be something that stood the test of time. So I'm going to take Pixie's Doolittle. It's an album that's seen me through university flat shares, breakups, road trips, holidays, uh, you know, on the island. I could just put it on and scream debase it into the void. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, you'd need a good sound system for that as well. Um, but that's okay. Will, that will you throw that in? Nice. Yeah, yeah. Good it comes stuff. free on the island. Uh, and then finally, what luxury item would you take with you? As a designer, would you allow me something a bit whimsical that doesn't technically exist in the real world? Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm all about rewards. And at the end of the day, when I've completed my jobs to be done and moved my card on the Jira board I've crafted from <laughs> shells, <laughs> I'd like something to look forward to. So I've decided I'd like a drinks tap 
to dispense one cold beverage at seven o'clock each evening. Every day, it's a surprise drink. You know, it could be like a chilled rosé or a buttery white burgundy or a pint of craft beer. doesn't have to be alcoholic. You know, I would be equally delighted with like a watermelon juice or a mocktail. (laughs) Uh, And alongside this, to maintain my link to humanity, um, I'd like some tasting notes telling me where the ingredients were grown and how it was made. That sounds amazing. Can you just, when you build that, uh, can you just send one to my house as well, please? Um, oh, I'll, I'll be just great. be kick, kicking back on my hammock that I've plaited from <laughs> flax uh, regarding the glorious sunset and being happy to be alive. Ah, oh, that is perfect. Uh, thank you so much to Jerry for joining us uh, on Design Up Silent Discs. Uh, thank you to the lovely audience for your questions and for um, listening along. Um, we'll now set Jerry afloat off to her island so she can enjoy uh, perusing the tasting notes whilst uh, supping on her frozen margarita. Uh, <laughs> you can find Jerry on Twitter at Jerry Reed, which is uh, R E I D. That's right, right? Yeah, good. <laughs> Great. And find more about her work at jerryreed.com. Um, as I mentioned before, Jerry's also speaking uh, at our conference soon uh, in a few weeks, uh, WDC in Bristol in October, uh, which you can get tickets to at webdevconf.com. Uh, I also happen to be the host, so you can say hi to me there too. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug, Jerry? Nothing else to plug. You work away. You have much more on your plate than I do at the moment. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Great. Well, um, as always, uh, this podcast is brought to you by Zero Height, the design system documentation platform. Hopefully you've all heard of it. Um, But if you haven't, you can jump in at any point and create your first style guide uh, completely for free by heading over to zeroheight.com slash podcast. Uh, And if you add the slash podcast, it lets you know that you came from Design Up Silent Discs and makes me look really good. So that's great. (laughs) Um, Until next time, thank you to everybody and bon voyage.